Revelation, the last book of the New Testament. It has inspired movies, fanatics, and cults. But this can't be the reason the Spirit inspired the Revelation, nor the reason the Church has kept it all these centuries. This year, we use the inspired visions of Revelation. The angels, demons, men, and monsters to reveal to us the mystery of Christmas. Good morning, everyone. Revelation, I know, has been a strange choice for Christmas, but I think each week we've been able to find our way back to the Christmas story and back to the gospel, um, but often with a strange start. And I think this uh, is no different, this passage we're going to be studying today. is going to take us through some strange territory, but we will find our way back, back to the Christmas story. So uh, I just would want you to relax as we take some of our stranger turns and not be fearful. Uh, we will be coming home again. All right. I want to start with uh, riding in the car. My family was one of those families like the Griswolds that would ride around the car singing Christmas carols. We, we actually did that. Um, I find that not a lot of people do that. Uh, how many of you grew up singing Christmas carols in the car everywhere you went? Okay, more in this service than last, certainly. But it's not something everyone does. My dad's favorite uh, back then, and still today, was God Rest You Merry, gentlemen. Now, God Rest You Merry, gentlemen, is unique among Christmas carols, because I I searched the lyrics, and other than an obscure verse, which uh, we rarely sing and did not sing today, in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, God Rest You Merry, gentlemen, is the only other Christmas carol that mentions Satan, the devil, and mentions him twice. One verse says, Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. And later in the same song, This day is born a Savior of a pure virgin bright to free all those who trust in him from Satan's power and might. Satan, the devil, the tempter, the adversary, all these different names, is a mysterious figure in our Bible. Now, if you uh, only watch movies, um, I would tell you that Satan does not play as big a role in the Bible as movies would have you believe once you actually start reading the Bible. But appears more in Scripture, uh, well, enough to be taken seriously. Now, according to this Christmas carol, Jesus was born to save us from his power and might. So our first strange turn for seven days before Christmas is to address this question. Who or what is Satan, and what power and might does he have? Now, I want to say right up front that uh, I know that speaking of devils and demons in the 21st century, seven days before Christmas or not, is uh, deeply disturbing to a lot of people. Um, The concept sounds so mythological and paranoid, and, and maybe some of you had relatives who are obsessed with demonology and that sort of thing, and they just turned you off to the whole topic because, you know, they... They just find that everywhere. So, but let me, let me speak briefly about it. And I want to say it in a different way than maybe you've heard before. And my hope is, is that, uh, first of all, for those of you who have never really had a problem conceiving of such beings as Satan and demons and such, we'll, we'll find this version interesting. I also hope that those of you who have had great trouble with this concept, after hearing this version, will be able to say, 
at least, well, maybe. So let's start. We're going to start with theoretical physics. You didn't know you were going to do that when you got out of bed this morning. Many physicists and mathematicians, including Stephen Hawking, are telling us there may be other dimensions of reality in the universe. Other planes of existence existing, so to speak, right on top of this one, but entirely separate from it. We humans, most of us have figured out, exist in three dimensions, right? Forward, backward, left, right, up, down. You did that in, in, in uh, some algebra class somewhere. But we can manipulate the dimensions below us. We can work with planes and points in mathematics. We know how to do all the calculations to affect, affect a flat space and point space. Almost every elementary kid can do it when they plot a graph. So we're constantly invading the lower two dimensions, yet we are infinitely bigger than either of those two. Also in the universe, there is God, who created all dimensions, however many there may or may not be. And he occupies all of them. And this is how it is so easy for him to occupy all of the three-dimensional universe all at the same time. We're in awe of that and call it omnipresence. But it might just be the mathematical working out of how a multidimensional being lives. But might there be between our three-dimensional selves and an infinite God, might there be other beings, other consciousnesses that... You know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> other thinking entities that occupy other dimensions higher than us, but lower than God. Perhaps they also had something like free will, and some used it to follow God, and some did not. And when we have become aware of them in, in our dimension, in our history, because they were interacting in this time and space, we called some angels and some demons, usually based on what they seemed to be doing to us at the time. One of these beings got a name in ancient times, Hasatan the adversary in Hebrew, brought into other languages as Satan. Maybe in his own dimension, he's not that big of a deal. I don't know. I don't live there. But in this dimension, a fearsome monster. So I hope right now that those of you who have always believed in angels or demons are saying, that's interesting. Well, look from physics. And those of you who have always found such ideas silly and hard to swallow would be saying, Maybe. I could see that as a possibility. That's all the further we have to go together to go to the Bible. In the Bible's view of Satan, what exactly is his power and might? It appears to be limited to three things from the stories we have. One, he makes suggestions about things you and I might do, then tries to fill us with shame when we do them, or to go and tattle to God. He even tried to do this to Jesus in the desert, but Jesus did not take the bait. Two, he creates difficult circumstances for people to prevent positive things from happening in the lives of people. And three, in rare cases, he and others like him can possess the minds of people, controlling their actions, although he only ever seems to do this to make them do mindless and self-destructive things. This seems to happen most often to people who have dabbled in the spirit world trying to attain special favors. Now, those three things to us seem like a very silly use of power. 
Very mindless use of power. If, if, if an extra-dimensional being had extra-dimensional abilities, why would you spend them that way on something so mindlessly self-destructive? But I want to ask you, isn't that the way evil seems to work in our dimension too? There are people who are evil and billionaires, yet they don't conquer the world with all their vast resources. Instead, we usually hear that they are running around sexually harassing their employees and going, getting caught at strip clubs. There are evil people who are athletes. Their physical abilities far surpass what anyone else could do. Yet they don't form armies of superhumans to take over even their community. By the time we hear about them, they're usually caught smoking crack or betting on illegal dogfights. There are evil people who are geniuses, yet they have not invented super weapons or robots. Instead, they figured out how to bundle bad mortgages together and sell them to big banks. Evil, I guess, is banal. Evil is not wise. Evil is not just evil, it's also futile. In fact, every time evil people are caught and they ask them, did you think you were going to get away with this forever? What do you always get? Just a blank stare. Like, I never bothered to think about where this was headed. I guess that's the way evil works in every dimension. Now, all of this is going to let us go to our scriptures and make sense of the passage that we came to study today. We came here today to study Revelation chapter 12. So we're going to start by reading Revelation chapter 12. We're going to read the whole thing. The text will not appear anywhere on the screen. Um, I'll try to theater, theater it up here a little bit for you. But what I want you to do, there'll be a few pictures. I want you to try to imagine this passage in your mind. It's filled with symbols. And see if you can figure out what each of the symbols represents, what the passage is trying to say, just from hearing it. Revelation chapter 12. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, with seven crowns on his head. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky and threw them to earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. And her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. Then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to earth with all his angels. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before God day and night. 
And they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens, rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. When the dragon realized he'd been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But she was given two wings like those of a great eagle so she could fly to a place prepared for her in the wilderness. There she would be cared for and protected from the dragon for a time, times, and half a time. Then the dragon tried to drown the woman with a flood of water that flowed from his mouth. But the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed out of the mouth of the dragon. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children, all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. Did you get it? Could you understand it? Did you almost understand it? Did you have moments where you thought, oh, I see, oh, wait. Oh, I get it. No, I'm not so sure. Were you utterly baffled? Was anyone utterly baffled? Like, I didn't get any of that for anything. I'll bet you weren't. I'll bet that you got more than you think you did. To find out, since I used to be a school teacher, let's take a quiz. Yes, you have had the lesson, and, and now it's time for the test. It's multiple choice test. Okay, are you ready? The woman, who is she? Is she A, the nation of Israel giving birth, uh, giving the Messiah to the world? And we think that because Jacob, also called Israel, is the sun, Rachel the moon, and the 11 tribes are the stars in Joseph's dream in Genesis 37. Or is she B, Mary, giving birth to Jesus, who defeats the devil? Or is she C, the church, whose many other children are persecuted by the devil, but protected by God? Or D, all of the above? Now, remember your test-taking skills class your freshman year. When the test giver offers the all of the above answer, that's the answer. So who is the woman? All of the above, D, excellent. Well done. Let's try another. The seven-headed dragon, what is it? Is it A, the Roman Empire, for Revelation 17 says the beast stands on seven hills, just like the city of Rome sat on seven hills? Or is it B, all nations opposed to God? The Old Testament calls Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, and the others the serpent from the sea. Or is it C, Satan, the deceiver of mankind, as it says right in the middle of the passage? Or is it D, the serpent from the Garden of Eden? It also says that in the middle of the passage. Or is it E, all evil in the world, testing, tormenting, and tempting all people? Or is it F, all of the above? Excellent. You guys are, this must be the advanced class. Okay, let's keep going because you're acing the thing. The war in heaven between Michael and the angel and Satan. What is the meaning of that war? Is it A, a proclamation that God has defeated evil by bringing Jesus into the world? Or is it B, 
a proclamation that evil was defeated by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross? Or is it C, a proclamation that evil is defeated every time Christians endure suffering and do what is right, even in the face of death? Or D, all of the above? Excellent. Okay, now, at the end of the passage, the dragon cannot get the woman or her child because God keeps protecting them. What does that represent? Is it A, the Roman Empire's failure to destroy the church? Or B, King Herod and Pontius Pilate's failure to destroy Jesus, the Messiah? Or C, the devil's failure to lead all humanity away from God? Or D, all of the above? Perfect score, everyone. Perfect score. Now, there's one part that you might need some help with, and that is where it said the woman was hid, hidden in the wilderness for uh, 1,260 days. What was that all about? Well, if you divide that by 365 days in a year, you get that she was hidden in the wilderness for three and a half years. Okay? Later in that same passage, it says that she was hidden for time, times, and half a time. Do you remember that weird little part? Well, let's do the math on that. She was hidden for a time, times, and half a time. Three and a half again. The number three and one half appears several times in Revelation. What's up with that? I'm going to tell you that you're probably not even baffled by that. You just think you are. Because in Hebrew numerology, what is the perfect number, the, the number of completeness? What is God's number? So, you know, a bunch of you said seven, and I bet not a single one of you are raised Jewish. Somehow, Hebrew numerology has come to you just as part of your everyday life. Great. What is half of seven? Three and a half. Meaning that the time this woman needs protection from the dragon is not forever. It's not the perfect time. It's not God's time. This chase that's happening, this doesn't go on forever. His time is short. It's a broken time. It's an imperfect time. It's half of God's time. And it already said that in the passage, it said the devil knew his time was short. So you've got it. You did great. Congratulations. Now some of you are saying, well, Garrett, you made it really easy for us by making all of the answers all of the above. But I want to suggest that you actually made it hard for yourself by thinking this was a secret code that you had to crack. As I was reading that passage the first time, I bet many of you thought, oh, that sounds like Mary. And some of you who knew some history thought, oh, that sounds like the Roman Empire. And, but then you told yourself, well, not all of it sounds like that, so I guess I'm wrong. And you were hoping I would you know, give you the right answer. But Revelation does not have a secret code that you have to crack. Revelation is taking all of the message of the Old and the New Testament and repackaging it one more time into a vision filled with creatures and angels. I call it the graphic novel of Scripture. But it doesn't tell us anything that the whole rest of the Bible didn't already tell us. It tells us the good news in a new way that I hope, and it hopes, you'll never forget. But now you know the meaning of the passage, and so now you can know what God has for you and I in this vision. And, and here it is. Everyone in this room is tempted. Everyone sitting on these seats, everyone standing on this platform is tempted. 
after all the promises that you and I have made to ourselves and all the promises that you and I have made to God a million times that we would stop, somehow we still manage to yell at our kids. Somehow we still manage to look at pornography. Somehow we still manage to spend money we don't really have. Some of us cheat on our spouse. Others tell dirty or racist jokes. Others throw fits of rage. Others manipulate and control people. Others turn every conversation into a chance to talk about yourself. Others wallow in self-pity. Others overeat or eat junk food. Others undereat and overexercise, and everyone praises us for it, but it's dangerous. Others smoke pot. Others smoke cigarettes. Others drive too fast. Others belittle people in your mind. Others gossip about your family out loud. Some lie or, or live in hiddenness. Everyone is tempted. Is it Satan that tempts us every time? I don't know, but I personally doubt it. I think each of us has enough evil within us that even without the existence of any beings outside this dimension, we could do all sorts of sinful things. However, in my experience, I think sometimes there is another voice from elsewhere that tempts us. Okay, let me step away from the Bible for a moment because this little bit of demonology I'm going to share does not come from Scripture. May the Holy Spirit help you discern if this is accurate or not. I kind of feel like you can tell when there's another tempter involved. When the same type of voice in your head that told you to do it shames you right after you do. Says you're like, oh, well, now look what you did. And you call yourself a follower of Jesus. Wait till dad finds out. Some of you have actually literally heard a voice like that. I did once, 22 years ago, and I'll never forget that moment. Verse 10. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. But God had a secret weapon. He sent Jesus to save us from Satan's power when we were gone astray. But even for that, the dragon had a plan of his own. Under his temptation, humanity would see God face to face in Jesus and kill him. And as Jesus hanged on the cross, the dragon, the accuser, had his moment. Now, Satan might have fumed. Now, God, you see it. Even when they see you, they kill you. They killed your secret weapon. But God answered, no, they didn't. Jesus was not my secret weapon. He came bearing my secret weapon. My secret weapon is love. I love them. That's what he came to bring. I love them without conditions. I love them even though they murdered my son. And no greater love than this, that a man should lay down his life for his friends. That's right, they're my friends. And as Jesus uttered the words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
verse 8 comes true. The dragon lost the battle and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world was thrown down to earth with all his angels. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, it has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before God day and night. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by his testimony. And the secret weapon of God's love can never be defeated So long as you and I cling to it, it can never be taken away. The Apostle Paul said as much in Romans chapter 8. He wrote, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so, like a sulking child, like a wounded animal that's dying, our enemy slouches off to cause whatever damage he can. Like a drug dealer who occupied a house for years without paying any rent. When the devil is finally given his eviction notice, what does he do? He tries to tear the house up on his way out. He tries to break the windows and damage all the doors and pour cement mix in the toilet and steal all the light fixtures. Why does he do things like that? I don't know. Why do evil billionaires grope women at fancy dinner parties? Why do athletes smoke crack? Why do geniuses try to cheat the elderly out of their retirement? Because evil is banal. Evil is futile. It behaves self-destructively. That's what makes it evil. If evil had anything like logic in it, it would know not to be evil. So off he goes to do the futile things that he does. To tempt you and I to defy God and then fill us with shame when we do. To create difficult circumstances to make it hard for us to perform the simplest act of devotion to God. What battle did you have to fight just to come to church today? And to tempt some of us to reach for spiritual power other than God only to reward us with the spirit that makes us harm ourselves Or act like a raving lunatic. Verse 17. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children. All who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. But the scripture says, don't fall for that. Don't join in with that. This is not going to last very much longer. Three and a half somethings and it's over. You'll want to be found on the right side when the victory parade begins. And make no mistake about it, the victory has been won. The king has come. So all of this sin that you and I are tempted toward, God wants us to take a step toward freedom today. Maybe you need to confess 
Maybe you need to confess to your spouse. I found it easier to stop manipulating my wife when I admitted to her face that in many ways I had been trying to control her. It's very hard to control someone once you've confessed that you've been trying to control them. You should try it. (laughs) Confess and see what truth doesn't open up for you. Maybe you need to come to Mercy Street. Meets here on Saturdays at 5.30. Skips Christmas Eve this year, but we'll be here New Year's Eve and every other Saturday evening of the year. The Christ-centered 12 steps have helped many get their life back. I promise your sin is not too strange for Mercy Street. I can promise you it is not too strange. The power of it is you say your sin out loud to a small group of people and they don't get up and run away. They don't even make a face. You realize they still love you and that God must still love you. And the power of that love, the secret weapon of Christmas, gives you the strength to take the next step. New Year's Eve, 5.30 or any Saturday after that. Maybe you need to come to church more often and get more involved here. Satan is a predator, a predator, you know, that first isolates you from the herd and then picks you off. There is strength in numbers. There is strength in community. There is strength in family. You are not alone, and you are not a lone ranger. Maybe it's time for the counselor. You've been putting it off and making excuses, but, but maybe it's time. Maybe God has already revealed to you a way out. You just need to take it. But getting free of your sin is not a condition of his love. I want you to hear that. He loves you right now. He loves you right where you are. That is secure. That is his secret weapon. That is what has Satan fuming with insane rage. That God loves you even though you're still far off. How can he do that? And right about now you should be feeling it. The power of that love to let you know that it would be all right to come home today. It would be more than all right. God rest you, Mary. Gentlemen, ladies, may God give you rest and not an exhausted rest, but a rest filled with merriment. For the news of his love is glad tidings of comfort and joy. Let us stand together and proclaim that together.